All right, we're going to get in the Word now, and I'm glad about that, are you? Here we come to God's Word to speak to us today, and uh, we are in uh, 1 Corinthians, beginning another chapter in this uh, great book, chapter 6, and this is a message, and this is a truth that everybody will be able to relate to, and here's why. Because all of us, on one level or another, have experienced conflict We've all had disagreements, big or small. You might have had one on the way to church today. Some of you are going, oh no, I got to feel conviction right away about this. Well, today we're going to talk about how to resolve conflict without going to court. And this is what Paul is bringing up now and is a problem that was occurring in the church at uh, at Corinth. And these conflicts that, that happen, they come in all shapes and sizes. We can be in conflict with a brother. We can be in conflict with a parent. We can be in conflict with a child. We can be in conflict with a business associate. We can be in conflict with the government. We can be in conflict with uh, a neighbor or uh, a business or whatever it might be. There are conflicts of all different kinds and all this is the world that we live in. To live in a fallen world is to live with conflict. If you're not in conflict right now, just wait, you will be. Things happen, and we get upset, and other people get upset with us. And so it leaves us with this challenge of how to get along. And this is also true within the church. Christians can struggle to get along with other Christians. There are all kinds of levels of conflict to be found in a local church. Uh, hopefully none of them are rising to a level that we're talking about today, but it does happen. You know, the vast majority of conflict that we have are fairly insignificant. Somebody uh, takes your parking spot in the church parking lot, or, you know, uh, somebody makes an offhanded comment, but you kind of know them, and so you just sort of say, well, I think I'm not going to get mad about that. Or some little thing happens, and you just sort of end up having to apply First Peter, which says, uh, love covers a multitude of sins. And you just kind of cover it with love, and you go on, and you don't let it be an issue, and you don't sort of ruminate over it, and it's not a, it's not a bitterness thing. Or you might claim uh, Proverbs, which says, Proverbs 19.11, which says, it's to a man's glory to overlook an offense. You know, there are any number of things every day that if we wanted to get mad about it, it would be easy to get mad about. But we choose not to. Now, we could wish that everything fell into the category of covering with sin or choosing to overlook it. But there are things that come up in our lives that we just can't seem to get over. We can't, you know, we try to cover it with love, but every day we find ourselves just thinking about it and being mad about it. What do you do with those? What happens then? These conflicts oftentimes seem unresolvable to us and we struggle with what to do. Things like in the church where you have maybe differences in a parenting style with some other couple and your kids and there's sort of this sort of tension about it. Or you may have a difference in life, some aspect of life or some philosophy of ministry that you're strong here and they're there and you don't get along. Might be a difference in a Christian liberty issue. They have liberty in this area, you don't, or you do and they don't. And so there's kind of this disagreement of some kind. Uh, lots of different things that can happen. When you add money or marriage or some kind of power struggle 
to the mix of the disagreement. Now these things, which are just more like embers, can erupt into a kind of inferno. And you have this huge relational explosion. For example, a Christian businessman mishandles something that you have them doing. And you feel upset, but you wonder what to do about it. Or you may have a a contractor that uh, is a Christian that is working on your house or your business or something and it doesn't happen right or you get the feeling that they're taking advantage of you. What do you do about that? How should you handle it? Or in a church context when you have some member that has something that happens to them and they decide to go nuclear about it. How does the church handle that? And what should we do? So how can we handle these kinds of conflicts to the glory of of God. That's what chapter 6, the first uh, eight verses, is all about. So let me read now verses uh, 1 through 4 to get us going. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, or are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? All right, let's, uh, let's have a, a very brief history lesson. And let me tell you a little bit about the Greek culture. We've talked about this, uh, this Greek culture. They, they loved philosophy. Uh, they worshiped uh, sex and love. Here's another thing about the Greek culture. They loved to sue the pants off people. They loved it. It was a very litigious culture where people were very quick to sue somebody about anything and everything. These Greek people, they're so strange, aren't they? Yeah. This will sound very familiar, I think, as uh, one historian and commentator, William Barclay, says this about what it was like. In a Greek city, every man was to some degree a lawyer and spent a very great part of his time either deciding or listening to law cases. The Greeks were, in fact, famous or notorious for their love of going to law. So... If you were living in Corinth or some other Greek city and there was something that happened to you, somebody, you know, they dented your car, they, they, uh, they, they defamed your name in some way, they mistreated you in some way, you'd, your first instinct was to sue them. I'm going to take you to court and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you. And that was the way that it was. And so their answer to problems was to sue one another. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If you had a legal right to do something, you did it. If there was any legal angle that you could take to take advantage of somebody, you did it. You got the most out of it that you possibly could. Now, here's something about the Greek courts. Our courts are in a, you know, the, the trials happen in a, in a courthouse somewhere, maybe kind of sort of sequestered away where people can't see it. Not in the Greek culture. Their courts were in the middle of the marketplace. This would be like uh, having the courts at the, at the center of the mall or something like that, where there's people all around. It's very public. Everybody knows who's taken who to court. The whole thing plays out in the, in the eyes of the entire community. So in the middle of this Sue Happy culture city you have first church of corinth 
where all these people were raised this way, it's like in the DNA of their uh, Greek, uh, Greekism, <laughs> whatever. They're, they're Greeks, and so they, this is what they did. But now they have been changed. Now they have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And now the gospel is beginning to have its influence on them. But not very well at Corinth. And as we've been talking about, this was one messed up church. Over and over again, all these different issues. Here now is another one. And Paul has been saying to them and saying to us, Listen, Christians, you are a counter-cultural group of people. You are not to live with the values and the priorities of the world around you. You have been, you have been transformed. You have, you have been saved. Your life now is Christ. And you are to be a redemptive alternative to the immoral world around you. And so, once again, we find that's the way it's supposed to be, but it wasn't happening at this church. Once again, we find that the Corinthian church was not too Current or to Christian, it was all to Corinthian. In fact, you could maybe put that as the title of the entire book, a subtitle, All to Corinthian. This church, these people, they just thought the way the world thought, and it created all kinds of problems in their church. And so the issue on the table today, just pile this onto the list of problems, was that these Christians were choosing to settle their grievances in the public court. And Paul now is is taking them to task about it. So we could ask the question, well, what's wrong with this? Do Christians have the legal right, even in our culture, to sue other Christians? Clearly. You legally are allowed to do that. Paul says, spiritually, you are not. And is going to give reasons for that. Primary to this is the fact that to sue another Christian is to say something that is not true. Read through the Gospels, read through uh, the words of Jesus, read through his high priestly prayer over and over and over again. The Bible tells us that we, in our relationships, we are not divided, that we are one. That these relationships we have with one another, we are one in Christ. The body of Christ is not divided, it is one. And so we as fellow Christians, we are in a relationship that is an eternal relationship and is united We are united in the person and the work of Christ. That is reality. To sue somebody is to say something that is not true. It is to say before the public that we are not one. We are divided. We don't get along. We cannot resolve these differences with each other. Christ prayed in his high priestly prayer this. He said, Father, make them one even as you and I are one. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, make every effort to keep the spirit of unity in the bond of peace. Here's what John said. Love one another. What is it to be like in our, within a church family? How are we to, what is the reality, the truth? It is that we are theologically, spiritually, eternally one in the person of Christ. And Paul is saying, listen, you have a responsibility to live that out. It's one thing to say it. It's one thing to sing about it. It is another thing when you're in a disagreement with somebody to live that out and to show the truth. We are one in Christ. So you get what I'm saying? To sue a Christian is to say something that isn't true. It's a lie. It's a falsehood. It's a contradiction. We're not to do that. And that's why Paul is so upset about this. They're unable to resolve conflict with one another. 
And secondly, uh, he's upset because they're airing their dirty laundry in front of the entire Corinthian culture. That's because the courts were right there where everybody could see it. So everybody in Corinth knew that these Christians were not getting along. And so in the big picture, here's what's happening. Suing somebody is saying that there is something that is more important than Christian unity. Suing somebody is saying that there is something more important than the, the testimony of Jesus Christ. Suing another Christian is saying that there is something more important than the credibility of that local church in speaking the gospel in the community. It's saying that there's something more important. Because if, if there wasn't something more important, you would never sue the person over it. And the question then is, well, what price tag do you put on those things? What price tag do you put on the unity of the church? What price tag do you put on the testimony of Jesus? What price tag do you put on the church having a gospel ministry and fulfilling the great commission in the Jerusalem that God has called it to? What price tag do you put on that? And now you see that when it comes to our relationships with one another, the stakes are eminently higher. And the calling is also higher to say and to live out what is true. We are one. We must put that on display in the way that we treat one another. That's what he's saying. So Paul's sorrow here is that they're not doing this. And we see this in the word dare in verse 1. He says, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law? Who would dare to do such a thing? Well, the Corinthians did. And you know what? All too often in, in America, uh, Christians will do the same. Christians sue Christians all the time in America in disregard for what this passage is teaching. Now, let me make something clear here because I don't want this to be confusing. Paul is not saying two things. Paul is not saying that it is wrong for a Christian to, to, uh, to use the judicial system. He's not saying that. In fact, Paul couldn't say that. It'd be hypocritical for him because he did it all the time. If you read through the, God, the, the, the book of Acts, again and again, Paul appeals to Roman law for his own protection. You might recall that he appealed to Caesar, which was a right that he had legally as a Roman citizen. And so Paul was involved in the, in the legal the system of the day. It is entirely... Uh, appropriate for us to be involved in the legal system of our day as well. Romans 13 is a treatise that Paul has on the role of government and the role of the state. And he says that the state is there to protect the innocent and to punish the wrongdoer. And that, that this is a part of God's common grace. So when you drive by the Lake County Government Center, that building is symbolic of a common grace that God has given to mankind and to society. We are governed by law. And we ought to be glad that we are. If there were no laws and if there were no police, can you imagine what a mess this place would be? But in his wisdom, he has given culture and society and law to rule and to protect the innocent, to punish the evildoer. So one implication of that is that to be involved even as a vocation, in the legal system is a noble calling. To be a Christian judge is a noble calling. To be a Christian lawyer is a noble calling or some other legal uh, function is entirely appropriate for a Christian to be involved in. It's not that the courts are bad or that the legal system is bad or anything like that. That's not what he's saying. 
I also would say that he is not, he is not absolutely, and I, I hedge just a little bit with this, he is not absolutely saying that there are no kinds of legal proceedings that two Christians could be involved in. I don't think that he says that. He almost says that, but I don't think that he entirely says that. There are so many complexities in our world today that were not true then that maybe there would be some scenario that you could come up with where they, they could be and it wouldn't be saying something that's not true. But he almost says that, okay? He almost says that. The third thing that he doesn't say is that he's not talking, he's not talking here about criminal matters. The church is not called to enforce the law. We are not, we're not the, the judge and jury of uh, cr- criminal offenses, He's not saying that at all. That's the role of the state, to punish the evildoer, Romans 13. Here's what Paul is talking about. He's talking about civil disputes, civil matters, business, relational kinds of uh, disputes, or what he calls here grievances, when two Christians have some issue that they cannot resolve. That is entirely what he is talking about. Now, verse 7 would suggest that what was going on at Corinth was... Two categories of problems, money and property. Isn't that funny? Those people back then, they cared about money and property. We're so enlightened now. We've so much gotten over that. I'm so glad. Money and property. And what Paul here says is that in order for peace to uh, be achieved, that the church actually has a role in this. Not the public courts. Not the judicial system, but the church. And that these conflicts are not to be aired there. They are to be resolved in-house. They're to be resolved in the church. And the reason for that, he says, is that, you know, the, 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 the judicial system doesn't have God's truth. That's not a place that cares about actual true God justice. But the church does. So these matters are to be resolved in the church, and he now gives two reasons for this, and these are reasons that might surprise you. Look at verse 2 again. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? Okay, so the, the two reasons that Paul gives for why, uh, why this should be handled in the church is, number one, that if we are someday, go ahead and put that up, if you put that up, we will judge the world in the future. If we're going to do that, why can't we judge things now? If we're going to judge the world, why can't we judge things now? Now, right now you're saying to yourself, I had no idea that I'd be judging the world. Yes, Christian, you will. The Bible talks about this and the fact that we are an eschatological community. We are a futuristic community. And what we're going to be doing someday has already been decided. And one of the things that we're going to somehow be involved in, and I don't understand the details of this, somehow we're going to be involved in ruling and governing. Here's some examples from Scripture that teach this. Daniel 7. Until the, day, the Ancient of Days come... And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Revelation 3, the one who conquers, Jesus is saying this, 
I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So we're, we're going to sit on the throne with Jesus. Now that's going to be a big throne for all of us to be sitting there, don't you think? That was a joke. I'm gone one week and you don't laugh anymore. What's going on? You're like, well, you've got to be funny. Uh, I know. The ocean wind does it to you. It takes it away somehow. So I'll work on that. But he's not saying we're all sitting on the throne with him. It's, it's a metaphor that we are having authority with him. We're ruling and reigning with him in some way. Here's Revelation 2. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. Now, what is this talking about? Someday, and I believe this to be during the millennial kingdom and potentially on the new earth, that we are going to be given authority, delegated authority from Christ who all authority has been given to him, Matthew 28. He's going to give this now to us, which I believe will be measured out in some way based upon our service to him in this life, which relates to our hope messages on rewards that we talked about. That we will be given authority and that we will govern on in the millennial kingdom. And so Paul says, if you're going to govern in the millennial kingdom, and if you're going to be handling matters of that kind of importance, can't you handle the little things within the church now? Okay, so it's an argument from the greater to the lesser. Second reason is, is related to this. He says, since Christians will judge angels in the future... They can certainly judge matters now. Now, I don't know. I don't get this one. And most people don't. Uh, there are theories as to what it means. It might mean that we will somehow be a part of the judgment of, of fallen angels. Or it means that we will govern angels someday. I don't know how that works, but this is what he says. But the argument is the same. If you're going to govern over angelic beings someday, can't you handle matters within the church today? It's a greater to lesser argument. So, Paul now suggests two better approaches than going to court over it. Verse 7. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Paul says, listen... You might go to court and you might win, but you lose. It's a lose-lose because of what it says to the community and what it says about our heart priorities. And let me talk about that a little bit. Really, this is what is, is at issue in a lawsuit. Lawsuits, you know, people say uh, it's, it's not about the money. And what does it mean when they say that? It's about the money, right? That's what it means. Lawsuits reveal the priorities of our hearts. If you want to really know and understand the human condition, go and hang out in the courts at the Lake County Government Center, and you will see the real humanity coming out. Because in the midst of conflict, and when there is tension, the, the heart issues come out in a way, and what we really care about is revealed. Now, I would say 99% of all the matters in court, all the, all the lawsuits have something to do. And by the way, 90% of statistics are made up on the spot. Did you know that? 
They have something to do with these, what, four things. Lawsuits. My money, my name, somebody defamed my name, my rights, and my property. Most lawsuits have something to do with those four things. If you infringe on any one of those four things, there is somebody that is going to be quite happy to sue your pants off and to get out of you what they can for what you have done to them. And probably topping the list is money. Money. And the taking advantage of somebody, sometimes, sometimes they're legitimate, but oftentimes taking advantage of somebody. I, um, you know, if, if a famous movie star does something, you know, pushes somebody, punches somebody, they, uh, they get a lawsuit for like, you know, $50 million. But if the mailman does it, they don't do the same. Why? Because they know the guy's got it. And now's an opportunity to get what you can out of them. Why? Because money is the motivating factor. I saw in the news yesterday, in fact, there's some rich couple that they're divorcing and she's been given $43 million and she is just so upset because it's not enough. And they broke it down like per day, how much she would be getting and how much she could spend on clothing like every day of her life. And it was, you know, well, it's not enough. Why? Because money is the issue. We could have, we have lawyers in this room right now. We could have them come up here and just share some of the things that they've seen and heard in their practice Lawsuits reveal where our hearts are at. And so uh, let me give you a real life example of a lawsuit and how maybe this should be handled if it was between two Christians. And this is from my own, uh, my own family. I remember when I was a kid, I maybe was eight years old, let's say, and we grew up, I grew up on a kind of just outside of town in one of these little subdivisions where everybody's got like an acre or two and there's maybe 15 houses kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I'm from Iowa, so you think everything's nowhere there. But I, it really was kind of just out there, just outside of town. And we had a neighbor. Every community has the neighbor. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you might be the neighbor, actually, in your community. <laughs> But we had the neighbor in our community, and um, he, he, just was, he just was an obstinate sort of fellow. And one day, he decided that he was going to build a fence around his property. Well, the thing is, he didn't build the fence around his, on his property line. He built his fence right on the edge of the road, like, and thereby claiming all of this road easement as his own property. And so... The neighbors were not very happy about this. And plus, it made it very difficult for us, and I don't know if anybody else, but our family in particular, to even back out of our driveway because right on the edge of the road is this fence. And so the neighbors kind of got together and, and they, they went to him and they said, uh, you know, this is really not good and we'd like to ask you to, uh, to move it. Well, the neighbor didn't really care too much about what the neighbors thought, or he would have acted differently long before this. <laughs> so uh, that didn't go anywhere. Well, so the neighbors kind of got together and decided that they needed, to, they needed to sue over this, and so they did, and my family was involved in that. And So I remember the day when the judge came out to our little community to sort of survey the situation and to look around. And he came and he actually parked in our driveway, and he kind of walked around and talked to different neighbors and saw the fence and saw everything like that. And uh, we watched as he got back into his car, 
and tried to back out. And he went, almost like got stuck and frustrated trying to get out of our driveway. And in that moment, we knew that we had won. (laughs) And we did, (laughs) actually. So that's how it played out. Now, let's say, let's say that this neighbor is not just a neighbor, but is a fellow Christian. Let's say that the neighbor is fellow member in good standing in the church. Now, what's the difference? Well, now the stakes are much higher because now there is truth that I am responsible, we are responsible to live out in regards to this relationship. That we are one in Christ. The unity of the church is at stake. The watching neighbors are who know that we go to the church together and all that. That now comes into play. The local paper who may run a story about it. That now comes into play. The stakes become much, much higher. And the way that it is to be handled becomes much different. What do you do? Well, you have to ask the question, what is more important? My rights, right? My rights or Christ's reputation. My money. My property or the credibility of Christ and the unity of the church. What are you to do now? Okay, well, here's the thing. Paul is not saying do nothing. Not saying do nothing. Paul is proposing that either you choose to be wronged for Jesus' sake and trust God to make it up to you, which he can do. In fact, I wasn't going to share this, but maybe this would be an encouragement to you. We can always edit the tape. I had a situation. I had a situation in the past where I kind of had a thing like this. And I was, you know, I was ticked off about it. But then I had this whole other side, like, what does God want me to do? And don't you hate those moments? <laughs> when you're, oh, and so, and it was a financial matter. And. I remember writing the check and putting it in the mail. And it was just one of those where you're like, you know, you're walking in the mailbox. <clears throat> you're like, oh, I just can't believe I'm doing it. But okay. And I, I really did it. I, I mostly did it <laughs> for, I think, spiritual reasons. Um, but I wasn't happy about it. <laughs> and... Uh, I believe it was the same day that I mailed it, my um, tax person called me and said, I totally messed up on your taxes and gave the amount that he messed up. And it was like within, I think it was like $10 of the check that I had just written, like for Jesus sake (laughs) to take care of this matter. And I went from being like, oh, to being like, yeah, because God can do that. He can. He can make these things up. I believe that when we do it for his sake, he does in this life or the next. And there may not be justice ever in this life about that thing that somebody did to you, but you chose to, for Jesus' sake, to to go on. But God will make it up to you. He will reward you for it because you were protecting the fame of his son, which he loves so much. So 
Paul is saying that either choose to choose to overlook it and trust God to make it up to you, or if this will not resolve it, there is an alternative court of appeal. There's another place to go. You think, well, I can't go to I can't go to court because he's a Christian. There is another place to go, and that place is in the church. That the church has a role to play in resolving conflicts between Christians. And we don't think that often about that, but this is exactly what Paul is saying. As both Christians, and this is, this is uh, presupposing that both Christians are submitting to the word of God and to the authority of the church, they come with a submissive spirit and they say, we want you to objectively and biblically resolve this matter and we will submit to what happens here. Okay? And the court or the, the church then becomes a kind of arbitrator or mediator in the matter where it can be resolved and both parties agree to move on for Jesus' sake after it. That's what Paul is saying that the Corinthians should have done. We're going to judge angels. We're going to judge the world. Can't you take care of these matters in the church? We should be able to. So how then should we do this and how to resolve conflict biblically? There is an organization that uh, I am so very thankful for. I want to tell you about it. Um, the organization is uh, Peacemaker Ministries. It's probably best known for its uh, founder, who's Ken Sandy, and this book that he wrote a number of years ago, The Peacemaker. Excellent book, where he just basically walks through how to biblically resolve matters that we can't seem to resolve with one another. And uh, we have, our church has used this organization in the past with the thing or two that we've had to deal with. And uh, we really want to commend this to you. They got a good website. We, ha- we bought a ton of copies of this book. Uh, it's at the book table. Pick it up afterwards. There's versions of this like for families and maybe marriages and all this. But this is kind of the, this is the, uh, the mainstay uh, book, The Peacemaker. And in this book, he describes what he calls the slippery slope. And uh, it's a graphic here that I want to show to you on how uh, we often in our flesh resolve, try to resolve things and how God wants us to do it. And so you see on the slippery slope, there's like three different categories. You have two on the side and one in the middle. Well, on this side, you have people that respond to conflict by running. This is the flight side. And on this side, you have people that respond to conflict by fighting. So this is the flight. This is the fight. These are people that want to get away. These are people that want to put up their dukes. Okay? And that we naturally fall into these kind of categories, but he's going to promote the middle. Let's just talk about the escape responses. Uh, Denial. Oh, there's no problem at all. Nope, 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 nope. But inside, they're just all balled up in anger, and they're just bitter and all of that. But they're in denial. They're not. They're refusing to resolve the conflict by denying it. Uh, they may try to get away from it, run away, whatever it is. And in severe cases, perhaps even get away with suicide. Escape responses to conflict. On the other side, you have assault. Yeah, okay, buddy, I'll, I'll see you outside. I hope that never happens in the church. <laughs> I'll meet you behind the children's center. No. <laughs> uh, litigation. I'm going to sue your pants off. I don't care if you are a Christian. I'm suing your pants off. Or in, in severe cases, murder, uh, which would be very severe. 
Now, all of us have experienced some degree of these, particularly uh, maybe on the attack responses. You know, and here's the thing about these things. We don't, you don't have to teach these things. These happen naturally. This is what sinners do. This is how sinners respond to conflict. Right now, it, there's toddlers probably in the nursery who are, you know, we, we don't have to have classes for our toddlers to punch when somebody takes their toy. You know, they, you don't have to train them to do that. You don't have to help. Okay, here's how you make a fist. You know, they know. They just do it. And then they get older and realize that if they punch somebody, they go to jail. But if they sue them, they make money. And so they sue. But this is not the Christian way. Christ is creating a radical new society that is built on the the, uh, the ethic of love and for which he has given us a model. You might say, why? Why? Why do, why do Christians pursue the middle of overlooking or reconciling or negotiating or mediating or arbitrating or having accountability? Why be peacemaking? Why give up your rights for the sake of, Christ, for the, sake of uh, the gospel ministry? Because this is exactly what Jesus did for us. Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The story of redemption, this thing that is central to all that we believe, is a story of somebody who had all the rights as the Son of God, who relinquishes those rights even to the point of death so that we might be saved. The hero of the story, the one, the example that we're following is somebody that did not hold on to their rights. Okay, did not hold on to their rights. And so this then translates into a model for Christians to follow. What are we to do? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about the way that we treat one another. Luke 6, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. What is this known as? This is the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Philippians 2.4, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Well, now that's something you see in court all the time, don't you? I'm really, I'm sorry to have to be suing you right now, and I know it's going to cost you immensely. But, you know, actually I think I'm going to change my mind. You won't be happy about this. This will be hurtful to you. I'm sorry. Never hear that. James 3, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who, say the last two words with me, make peace. Peace is made. It does not happen naturally. It requires effort. And in situations where there are things that are yet to be resolved, Christians are to do something. The title of this message is Peace is a Verb. It is something that we do. It is something that we make. Peace breaking happens naturally. You don't, if you do nothing, you can break peace every day. 
Peacemaking requires effort and the gospel and intentionality if there is going to be reconciliation in our relationships. And you might be here right now saying, well, this message isn't for me. I've never taken a Christian to court. I've never taken anybody to court. I don't need to listen to this. Yet you sit here possibly today filled with bitterness because you've refused to resolve conflict in your life. This is not primarily about whether you take Christians to court or not. This is about the church being a culture of peace. Where there is active peacemaking that is happening in relationships. And this requires people to go to people and to make things right. It annoys me to no end as a pastor to have somebody come to me and say something about somebody. You know, and I say, you need to go and to talk to them about it. Well, I don't know if I can. I'm not so sure. Well, you have no trouble talking to me about it. Why don't you go talk to them about it? And in the church, there's all kinds of, you know, uh, (laughs) tension in relationships that ought not be. The fact that you don't sue them doesn't mean that you have fulfilled what God wants you to do in this situation. We are to make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Happy are those that make peace in relationships. And Jesus Christ has been the ultimate peacemaker. He has made peace between us and God. And how did he do it? By relinquishing his rights, not standing up for them. So go to people. Go. And you might have to force yourself. Because in your heart you don't want to do it maybe. But you're choosing to do it for Jesus' sake. And you know you might have to force your mouth. I need to talk to you. And you know, you're, you're forcing your mouth to say it. But do it. Do it. Make peace. And forgive. And reconcile. For the sake of the testimony of Jesus Christ, who gave up his rights so you can go to eternity in heaven with him. Peace is a verb. It requires effort and obedient Christians to be proactive for Jesus' sake. Go and make it right. Jesus said this in Matthew 5. So if you are offering uh, your gift at the altar, you've, you've gone to church for worship And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Peacemaking is more important than worship. And I think, honestly, if we were to get this right now, many of us would have to stand up right now in this service, go into the commons and make a call. Because you know there is a situation that you have been unwilling to resolve. And it needs to be resolved. And today's message is God speaking his word to us to tell us to make peace. As far as it depends on you, Romans 12, live at, in peace with all men. If there is unreconciled things going on, it should not be because we have a spirit of unreconciliation. 
There are things that cannot be resolved because somebody is refusing to resolve. Peace requires two people. But it better not be the Christian that is refusing to forgive. It better not be the Christian who is refusing to being reconciled. Why? Because of what Christ has done for us. And when you cannot figure it out on your own, going to them, and you need somebody's help, the church is here to help. We have godly people in so many disciplines who could speak biblically and truthfully and objectively to whatever the matter is and to resolve it. We have people here, counselors and pastors, who can, in the midst of that, get those heart issues on the table because oftentimes it's not the apparent thing that is the thing. There's some heart issue behind it that's driving the emotion to get that on the table, to let it be exposed and refined and sanctified so that we might be more into the likeness of Christ. But none of this will happen as long as Christians think like Corinthians. And might I say it in this regard, as long as Christians think like Americans, modern-day Americans, who prioritize money over everything. This will not happen while we think that way. We must think like Christians and to follow the example of Christ who gave everything for us. So these moments that we have with people, big and small, these are opportunities to humble ourselves. It is humbling to have these kind of conversations, to once again die to ourselves, which the Bible calls us to do, to take up our cross, and maybe this is the cross that we have to bear, and to follow Jesus the example before us. And so towards that end, I want to just have us, uh, can we just bow our heads for a moment right now? And I want to give you a moment to ask God today if there is some matter like this in your life that needs to be, that needs to be resolved, that needs to be reconciled. Why don't you ask God to give you courage and obedience to do it? Holiness is happiness. Blessed are the peacemakers. Father, today we marvel at our Savior and how willingly he did what is so counterintuitive to us to set aside our rights, to turn the other cheek, to refuse to demand that our rights be our own, but to give them up for the sake of the gospel. And we thank you that he did that. If he hadn't, all of us would be going to hell. So we praise you for him today. And I pray, Lord, over the congregation. And Lord, I just pray these matters are so complex, 
so emotional at times it's hard to know what to do. And yet we know that there is something that we ought to do. And I pray that you would, Lord, create a culture in our church where peace is a verb, where it is something that we actively do, where we keep short accounts, where we do not let the sun go down on our wrath, where we resolve to obey you and to trust you to make it right and to make it up to us. And I pray that the result of that would be that the community might see a different sort of thing going on here than they see at the government center to see a kind of love, a selflessness that exalts you and makes us happy. So create that in us. I pray may that be on display in the days and the years ahead. I pray for the person struggling right now with what to do, whether to make the call, whether to reach out, whether to take the first step. I pray that you would give them courage and wisdom uh, and help them to do what you would have them to do. And in all things, may Jesus Christ be praised. To the glory of God the Father. Amen.